0: Father, we pray that you will uh, truly speak to our hearts, your holy word, by your spirit, that we may walk in faith and obedience. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. If I ask the children right now, children, are you with me? Who wants to be happy? You want to be happy? Ah, there are three people there who want to be happy. The rest of you, you don't want to be happy. Happy, happy. Everybody wants to be happy. All right. Thank you. Now I'm going to tell us how we can be joyful and how we can have peace. Peace here in our minds and peace in our hearts. And it is not only the children. Everyone in the world wants to be joyful. You see this when Ghana wins um, a, match, a football match against, for example, the United States. <laughs> then we are all joyful. Isn't it? Uh, where is Keith? <laughs> Keith is not there. OK. Mahabna, you take it then. <laughs> or we win against Nigeria. Then it feels even better. (laughs) They are our siblings, so we like to win against them. Sometimes we say that we want to be joyful. We want to rejoice. We want to have peace. But actually, we really don't know exactly what we are looking for. We really don't know. And I don't mean non-Christians. We say to people who are not in the Lord... Oh, you want, you want to be joyful, but you can't find it unless you, are, you believe in Jesus. What do we actually mean? So it is not only them who are not yet in the Lord. Sometimes even those of us who are Christians miss the whole point of what it means to be joyful. What it means to be joyful. What it means to be rejoicing. What it means to have peace. So let me read the passage again. But I'll focus more on verse 4 to verse 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So we're talking about actually pursuing joy and rejoicing. What is what is joy? What is really joy? What is joy that comes out of rejoicing? That thing we call joy. I want to have joy. And we sang some time ago. I have joy in my heart, deep, deep down in my heart. What is it? We're going to get that to the text. But joy, you could look at it this way. That is not the only way of looking at it. It is a refusal, a refusal to stay down because of the downturn of your circumstances. So what I mean is this. Your circumstances may take a dip, but joy is not to take a dip with it. Joy is a refusal to still stay hopeful even when things go down. Now, this is only possible for us to be able to have joy. It's only possible because we are growing in our expectation of what the Christian life is, should be. The reason sometimes we are so disappointed and sometimes we are so down is because we have a particular expectation of the Christian life. If you have heard time and again that to be a Christian means you never know no sadness, you come to Christianity with that expectation and then you realize that the realities of the Christian life is that we experience sadness. And so then you become disillusioned. You become confused. And, you, and then the enemy begins to talk to you. We'll look at that in a moment. Now, Tim Keller has an illustration that I think is helpful. If you were walking into a particular room, right... And then you were told that this room is, is a honeymoon suite. This is where people who just recently got married, this is where they come to and enjoy themselves and is by the beach and so on and so forth. And then you enter the room and it's like, really? This room, how can this be? I mean, look at the bed, it's not even very clean. Why do you think you come with that expectation? Because you are told that it's for honeymoon suite. Or take the same room. You come to the same room. Before you enter, you were told that this room is actually a prison for prisoners. And then you enter and you realize that it's got bedside lamps. It's got um, orthopedic mattress. It's carpeted. There is microwave in the corner. There is that. And then you are shocked. What? This is for prisoners? I want to be in prison. (laughs) Why do you think the two reactions? It's because of expectation. You have been conditioned before you enter to have a certain expectation. And then when you get there, you are either disappointed or you are really encouraged. And so we come to Christianity with that. We're told time and again, you've got to win. You've got to be at the top. The head and not the tail. Whatever that means, we don't even know. And then we say all these things to ourselves. And then we are experiencing difficulties and predicaments. And then we are totally confused about God and so to be able to have joy, to be able to say that I'm not going to go down my whole being with the downturn of my circumstances to be able to have that you need to realize that to be joyful is actually in the Lord he tells us rejoice in the Lord, verse 4 again I will say rejoice True joy and Christian joy, there is no other joy. Biblical joy, joy as the, the Lord wants us to have it. It's not found apart from him. It's found in him. It is found. Whatever that means, we'll come to that. Rejoice in the Lord. What is he saying in the Lord? Well, rejoice in the Lord in all that he has talked about in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. We don't want to go into that. But let's summarize it. One is rejoice in knowing who God is. Rejoice in knowing who He is, and then rejoice in knowing what God has done, what God has done ultimately in Jesus by the power of the Spirit. And then in understanding who God is, what God has done, you understand who you are in Him. And say you and so your joy in the Lord. Is something that is shaped, is something that is rooted, is something that is found in God, in God's work, and therefore in who I am and what I have by putting my trust in Jesus. So if that is the case, the opposite, the opposite of joy is what? Kids, what is the opposite I hope you know opposite. I don't know any word for opposite. The, what is another word for opposite? <laughs> Professor says antonyms. That even confuses me the more. What is the opposite of joy? It's what? Opposite of joy is sadness. All right, thank you. What is the opposite of joy? Sadness. What is the opposite of joy? Sadness. The good news is that The opposite of joy is not sadness. Paul tells us that we mourn, but not as those without hope. What is he telling us? He is telling us that Christians can mourn. Christians can be sad. And that doesn't mean they are not joyful. You can be joyful and still experience sadness because of the nature of this world broken by sin. When Christians lose loved ones, they don't go, hey, 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 I'm a Christian. I don't need to cry at all because I'm a Christian. They weep. They weep because death is not natural to us. Yet, they weep with hope. If those who have passed on did so in the Lord Jesus. And so the opposite of joy is hopelessness. When you don't have hope at all. In this life, we cry yet with hope. We mourn yet we are confident about the future. Having hope is having the assurance that the future is okay in the Lord's hands. The opposite of joy is not sadness. It is that you don't have hope. In this life. You're doing everything you can to make yourself happy. You're doing everything you can to make the future feel secure for you. That is hopelessness. Because the future is living not in your hands. Now this joy that I'm talking about. This call to rejoice as Christians. Is different from happiness. Now I know the Bible talks about blessed or happy is the man or woman who does not walk. And so on and so forth. It's actually related to joy. But not happiness in the way we conceive it. Usually when we think of happiness, we are thinking that there are happenings around us, around us that are for our good. Things are going well for us. I am happy. Happy because things are going well. Joy is not that kind of happiness that is dependent on the circumstance that I find myself, is usually related to the feeling of excitement because things are going really, really well. Happiness usually rests in the blessings God gives. Joy rests in the giver of the blessing. There are two different things. If you want to be happy or joyful based on the fact that God is, everything around me is going so fine, My marriage is at the top of the equation. I'm doing well at school. I had 95%, 95%, 95%. And therefore, be thankful for it. But you cannot rest. The idea of you settle in that as the basis of your joy. You won't have it. Joy rests in the one who blesses, not in his blessing as Thankful as we should be for those blessings. And that is what we looked at in Habakkuk when, in chapter 3, he declares that though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vine, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no head in the stalls, yet I will rejoice. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deers, and so on and so forth. Joy is knowing that the Lord is near, he tells them. Verse 5. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. Joy is knowing that presently and being assured of that into the future. When he said that the Lord is near, he means it in two ways. One is the Lord is actually near. You're never on your own as a Christian because he promises to be with you. Do you think God will lie to you? The Lord is near. But The expression the Lord is at hand is the same expression Jesus uses when he appears. The kingdom of God is at hand, he says. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is here. Yet at the same time, the kingdom of God is near in its coming. What gives us hope, what gives us joy, is the fact that we are certain of his presence and then we are certain of his return. Jesus will return a second time and he's going to put everything in place. All the wrongs will be righted by the Lord Jesus. If that is the case, if this is the hope we have, if this is the basis of our joy, then we can go about the Christian life and live our normal Christian life in the spirit. And that is why he says in verse 5, let your reasonableness, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is at hand. Live your Christian life in the light of this hope, joy, rejoicing, the Lord being at hand that we have. Go about your Christian life with that kind of certainty. Now, related to true joy is the idea of peace. Now, kids, I don't know if you know this, but who wants to have peace? Who wants to have peace? I'm sure you know what it is. You want to have peace. Okay, I'm sure you've raised your hand so you know what peace is. Who will tell me what is peace? What is peace? Peace is what? Yeah, I'll come to the adults in a minute. Peace is what? Yes. Peace is to live happily, isn't it? Thank you. Well done, the adults. Yes, what is peace? Ah, I like it. Peace is to mind your own business. (laughs) So we will use that. Mind your own business. Let's all go home. (laughs) All right, I'll come back to you. You can put your hand down. Now, but note this. The idea of peace that he's talking about here. Is the peace of God. It is not the peace with God. But the two are related. You cannot have the peace of God unless you have peace with God. But we don't want to go into that. He's talking about peace, the peace of God. What is the peace of God? It is not the absence of difficulties. Because when Paul was writing these things, he had been in a lot of difficulties. He tells them that you know that you are facing the same problem that I face or I'm facing. The hard times you are having, I'm having it. But we can have the peace of God, he says. What is this peace? It is the confidence and the trust that God is in control, even in the midst of difficulties. That is peace. In this world, we will never be without war. We will never be without issues of life. They will be in this world. But we can have peace. What is it? It is that confidence and trust we have in God, even in the midst of difficulties. Now, this peace is not the same as, mind your own business. He didn't hear that, so I can get away with it. This peace is not... I don't care what anybody thinks of me. Just get on with my life. I do what I I don't care what anybody says about me. As for me, as for me, my mind is made up. And then I just go for what I want to go for, and so on and so forth. People will talk anyway. That is not the peace that we're talking about. That which will be, will be. Just get on with your life. That is what others have called cynicism. You just carry on with your life. It is not the peace of God. Peace is. Knowing in your heart deeply that God is wise and kind and good and gracious and just. And at the end of the day, he will act in a way that is a blessing to you. But as I finish off, let me ask you, why does he say in verse 7, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding? What kinds of understandings? There are all kinds of understandings in the world. What kind of understanding is he talking about? Let me suggest to you, even though that is not explicit here, let me suggest to you, is the understanding of the world, it is the understanding of the flesh, it is the understanding of the devil. Because these are our three enemies, isn't it? The world is saying to us that not until everything is fine with you, not until your circumstances have changed, you don't actually have peace. That is a system of the world's thinking. Your flesh is asking you, what is in it for me? And so long as it doesn't benefit me, I don't even need it. Even if it benefits others. And then Satan tells you that, how can God be so loving to allow these circumstances for you? And so really, the peace of God is that peace that goes above all these understandings and tells you that your loving heavenly father who is just and good is in complete control to build you up even in difficult circumstances. So the opposite of peace is not difficulties. The opposite of peace is anxiety, worry. That is the opposite of peace. Peace comes from an assurance about the future. Who God is, what he has done, who you are in him. The opposite of that is when we are, we are so worried. And sometimes we are worried about not being worried. You know, Christians, there are some Christians who, when things are fine, when things are going so well, they wonder, as a Christian, things should go bad. And therefore, they begin to worry about why there is no worry for a time. Others are the opposite. They worry about something now and they are worried that they are worried about something because Christians shouldn't be worrying about anything and therefore they are worried and so on and so forth. The opposite of peace is anxiety, he tells us in that passage. Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. And then he goes on to say that the peace of God. Anxiety. Worry. Now, guys, listen. Between joy and peace the spirit calls us to do something and he puts it in three ways verse six it is prayer it is supplication or requests and then it is thanksgiving why do you put these three if you are giving thanks you are praying if you are praying you are bringing requests and if you are praying you are praying so why put the three together the reason is this and there could be more As for supplication or request, you can bring it to any human being. After here, I am bringing my request to you that I need something. That's fine. But this kind of request is a different thing because it is prayer. You can only pray to God. You should only pray to God. And therefore, he's saying that when you are bringing your request, you are bringing your request to no other person but to God in prayer. And then the idea of thanksgiving. What is the idea of thanksgiving? The idea of thanksgiving is this. When I think of the past, and I think of what God has done, and I think of how he has worked in my life, I can trust him now that he would work. It is also about the present and future. When I think of who God is, I can even be thankful for the prayer I am praying before I see an answer, even if the answer is not going to be exactly what I expect, even if he's not going to go the way I expect him to go, I am thankful to him because I know he's good and he's kind. I can be thankful now, not because thankfulness is a way of twisting God's arm so that he has no choice but to answer you. No, it is an expression that whatever the outcome is, I trust this man, I trust his character, I trust this God. What I mean by man is Jesus. So I know I have peace, true peace and joy, but how do I grow in it? How do I grow? How do I grow in having peace? Because the enemy will come at it. Well, ask for it. Ask for it. That's how you grow in it. But how do I know whether I'm just carrying on with my life, I don't care what anybody thinks of me, or I'm trying to manufacture peace so that I suppress my exact feeling. Now, this is how you test it, whether what you're experiencing is actually the peace of the Spirit. It is by going to the fruit of the Spirit. When you are experiencing, in Galatians 5.22, when you're experiencing the peace of God, my friends, the peace of God doesn't stand alone. It is part of the fruit of the Spirit, right? The fruit of the Spirit is one, and then it's got various elements of it. If you want to know you're experiencing this peace that comes from God, check to see whether you are also growing in love and faithfulness and kindness and patience and so on and so forth. These things go together. So peace is not just something in isolation that is just about you and that is just about the feeling of the difficulties or I deny the difficulties. It is this assurance that goes with other things. The fruit of the Spirit's. Finally, this is where everybody gets happy. When they hear the pastor says, finally, because this is the second time he has said finally. But this is really finally. Verse 8. Verse 8. How do I continue to really fight off the enemy of the world, the flesh, and the devil? How do I really grow in rejoicing and peace? The answer is this. Think about anything that is true. Think about anything that is honorable. Think about anything that is just. Think about anything that is pure. Think about the things that are lovely and commendable and excellent and praiseworthy. The question is, what are these things? They are the very things he's talked about already. They are the very things he's talked about, for example, in chapter 2, when he says, Jesus Christ, who is in every form God, Did not count equality with God something to take advantage of for his own interests. But he humbled himself. And so he's saying that those are the things that are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable. It is in Jesus that we learn what it means to have things and ideas that are true and honorable. It is not just by wrecking your mind to think of how you can really be a good person. It is by looking at Jesus. Who is indeed and by his actions true and honorable and just and pure and lovely. And what he did, commendable. Think about these things. Think about Jesus, he says. Think about what he has done. Think about it and the implication that has for your life. If you constantly think about him, you will find yourself a good reason to rejoice. You will find yourself a good reason to have peace and rest. And continue with your life and not live a miserable Christian life. The peace of God that comes from the God of peace, verse 9. The God of peace. If you are going to experience this peace, it is from God. You cannot know the peace of God if you do not know this God that gives us peace with himself. Shall we pray? Our Father, we, we pray right now that you will work in our hearts real rejoicing joy and real peace that can only be found in Jesus. Help us to think about him a lot more rather than about ourselves, that we may experience him, the peace of God from you, the God of peace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.